The reading this evening is from Luke chapter 7, uh, starting to read at verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Thank you, Matt, very much. And let's pray together now as we come to God's word. Father, please, would you speak to us tonight? For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we've heard that he was big and fast and hard to put down. Uh, We'd heard all about him, but I'd never actually seen him play. That was until 1995, the World Cup semi-final, Cape Town. Jonalomu there, you can see the All Blacks left wing. And he scored four tries and New Zealand beat England 45-29 in that match. And at the end of the match, Will Carling, the younger captain with a rather wry smile on his face, said, uh, the man's a freak, the sooner he goes away the better. Well, I imagine many of us will have had uh, a similar experience. Maybe it's been in music or uh, someone recommends a book to you and says, this book is wonderful, but you don't realize how good it is until you read it. Or maybe uh, in some other way, the theater or the ballet or maybe someone driving a car rather quickly around in circles and so on. And there's a similar idea here in in Luke chapter 7, because the people have been calling Jesus... Lord. So, for instance, in chapter 6 and verse 46, if you just glance back there, uh, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not, do not do what I say, Jesus says to them. And just earlier in chapter 7, in verse 6, it says there, Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. But so far, they've really no idea about how far that Lord stretches. And if you like, they've heard about his reputation, but the reality is just hugely better, hugely more significant, stunningly better, stunningly more significant, actually. They knew that Jesus was good, but they never realized he was quite that good. Well, there's one day, there's a tragedy in a little hill town called Nain. And uh, it's quite near Nazareth, actually, Nain. Where, um, it's a bit like going from here over to Hassocks. It's not very far away, it's just, just over the hill there. And Nain is still there today. In fact, you could go to Nain if you want to when the pandemic's lifted. You can go and see this tiny little hill town. 
And we see this extraordinary thing that happens, that Jesus raises a young man from the dead. And that just raises everything to a, to a whole new level. Because we're seeing here that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a person who did miracles. He wasn't just a, a, a master. He wasn't just a leader. He wasn't, uh, no, he's, he was just hugely, significantly, and massively greater than any of those things, or in fact all of those things put together. Now, this is a whole new ball game. This evening we're just seeing this. Jesus is the Lord. Full stop. Jesus is the Lord. No qualifications, no limits, no boundaries, no restrictions, no terms and conditions, uh, no doubt. Jesus is the Lord. Full stop. Well, let's find out more about this this evening and if if maybe you know the pandemic's been getting you down here we are at the end of january there's still weeks to go on the lockdown as far as we can see and so on and uh, if you're getting a bit uh, uh you know finding it all a bit tough then tonight's a good night tonight's a night to lift the spirits tonight's a night to make us smile Tonight's a night to make us wonder and revel and rejoice and praise God for what we're going to see in this little passage. And the first thing we're going to see in terms of Jesus the Lord, full stop, is that he is the compassionate Lord. Sometimes you see great power, But when the power comes, it kind of gets mixed up with a drop-off in terms of morals and care and love and compassion. And it's not just Bond villains. I mean, it comes sometimes with politicians. Sometimes it happens with industrial leaders and so on. But here, Jesus is the Lord, full stop, who delightfully and wonderfully is supremely kind and compassionate and caring and involved and just there for people. And he is the same Lord today who is stunningly and wonderfully kind and compassionate and caring and involved and just there for people. Like us. Uh, the situation couldn't have been worse. There's a crowd of people with Jesus and they're going into this little town of Nain and there's another crowd of people coming the other way. It's uh, a funeral. Could have been something a little bit like that. And uh, the two crowds met. The dead person was actually a young man. The only son of his mum. You see that in verse 12. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now that is really bad news. Because if your husband has died and you've got a son, you'd expect that your son would be the one to look after you, to protect you, to care for you, to provide for you, as you advanced into your older years. This woman had one son, and today... He's died. And it would have been today, because in those days, uh, they'd have had the funeral on the same day as the person died. These days, we often have it a couple of weeks later or something. But today, on this day, this woman has lost her only 
son. She's a widow. She's lost her son. And it's all new and it's all horribly raw. And it's really, really tough. It's nothing worse than losing a child. Every parent's worst nightmare. I read this this week. I met a man who was in his 70s. During our first 10 minutes talking, he brought out of his wallet a faded photograph of a young child. His child. Who had died almost 50 years before. And if that is you too, then our hearts go out to you this evening. I also came across this this week. There was uh, an elderly gentleman in our town who had recently lost his wife. And one day, one of his neighbours, a four-year-old, saw the old man sitting in his back garden crying. So this little four-year-old went out of his house, in through the next-door neighbour's drive, through the side gate and into his back garden, And then he went and crawled up and sat on the old man's lap. He didn't say anything. He just sat there. And then a little while later, after he had uh, gone back home, his mum asked him what he said to the old man next door. Nothing, he replied. I just helped him cry. It's lovely, isn't it? Well, do look with me at verse 13 here. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. That is beautiful. And that English translation doesn't do justice at all to the, uh, the original word, which means a real depth of emotion, a real depth of feeling. It, it literally means from the, wo- from the womb or from, from, the, from, the, from the bowels, if you like. And you can, um, it is the strongest expression for compassion and care and heartache and a reaching out love that you can possibly imagine. The very centre of your being. It's the emotions of an empathetic heart break and he says don't cry don't cry because of what he's about to do but we'll come, up, come to that in a minute but just think of this there's a, a, a writer in the uh, um, 17th century, century who wrote this Christ is love covered over in flesh now if you come forward a, a few hundred years And think of the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, uh, you pull back the flesh of the Terminator, as he does occasionally in films, you know. And it it reveals a machine, doesn't it? If you've ever seen the Terminator films. If you pull back the flesh of Christ, you find love. If compassion clothed itself in a human body and went walking around this earth... What would it look like? We have the answer. We have the answer. And if we're Jesus' people, then we long, don't we, to have that compassion growing in our hearts and lives too. 
And it's not just a feeling, but it's, it's expressing it as well, isn't it? So if you, if you feel compassion in your heart, then your heart is going out to someone. You're going to want to do something about it as well. A card, a text, some flowers, um, drop something round, uh, a phone call, a message, a hug when you can. I guess it was probably um, 80, a year and a half ago, 18 months ago now, when Anna and I got back from India. I think it was the day after that, and, and we'd, uh, Anna had been pretty seriously ill in India. The day after that, we, uh, uh, the city mission were having a meeting in here. And, uh, and I, I just thought well, I'd better come along because I was do, doing something at it. So I popped over and uh, walked in. And Julian Haddo, here he is, uh, did something really rather scary. If you know Julian, he came up to me and he gave me a hug. Now, if you know Julian, that is quite a scary thing to happen. Julian, if you're watching this, I just want to say you were brilliant that night. That was the best thing you could have done. Thank you. But you see, it's expressing our compassion, isn't it? Let me tell you about a guy called Bill. A guy called Bill. Bill was a student. And every uh, day at college, he dressed the same, torn jeans, T-shirt, probably no shoes, wild, long hair, probably unwashed, a beard, and so on. And uh, across the road from his hall of residence, there was a rather well-to-do, posh kind of church. And then one day, Bill turned up to the morning service. He was late. He just got up, no shower. Um, but as he walked into the building, he saw that down near the front there, there was a, there was a space. In fact, there was a whole row. So he, uh, in the, towards the end of the first hymn, he, uh, he wandered down the aisle and, and slipped into the front row there. Had the whole row to himself. Everyone was watching. He just seemed completely out of place. Um, but there was Bill, and the uh, trouble was no one really felt very comfortable about it. And then as the service went on, uh, one of the church wardens, an elderly man in a suit and with a walking stick, um, walked gently and gracefully down the aisle. And everyone thought, well, he's going to have a word with them and perhaps point him to the, uh, um, the more charismatic church across the other side of town or something like that. But no, this uh, old church warden uh, instead uh, got to Bill's row and he just stooped over slightly and smiled and said, it's lovely to see you. And he sat down in Bill's row with him. And they had a little chat at the end of the service. Next week, Bill was back. The church warden sat in his row again. The next week, Bill was back with some friends. And they went and had lunch with the church warden, and so on. Now that seems to me, is, is kind of compassion in action. Jesus is the Lord, full stop. He is the compassionate Lord, and he wants us to be like that too. Second thing is, he is the powerful Lord. And you look in verse 14, he went up and touched the beer where they were carrying him on. That's a bit like a big kind of cradle. And uh, although in those days it could have just been, uh, as you've seen, maybe in, in, uh, uh, if there's been an atrocity or something, say, think of the Middle East and there's been a big bomb or something, and sometimes you see people carrying wounded people on a door or a plank. It could have been something like that. We're, we're not quite sure, but it was, uh, uh, it was a way of carrying uh, folks and a way of carrying dead bodies. And Jesus went up and touched it, and he broke all the rules. 
Because that would have made him unclean. Couldn't have gone to the temple. Couldn't have worshipped God if you touch a, a dead body. Um, and then at the end of verse 14, he says, Young man, I say to you, get up. Now, we need to be clear. He was actually dead. So, you, I mean, Luke who wrote this, he wants us to be clear about this. So in verse 12, he approached the town gate. A dead person was being carried out. And then at the beginning of verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to talk. Luke is actually wanting to tell us, look, this guy really was dead. We're talking here about a resurrection. How wonderful that was for the guy who died and how wonderful it was for his mum, perhaps, in particular. Look at the end of verse uh, 15. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mum. Well, a little bit more about that in a moment. But the point here is this. Jesus is the Lord. Full stop. A powerful Lord. Power even over death. And the application to this, let's be clear about this, the application to this is not, it is not that Jesus will raise the dead today. We need good theology and we need to see the big picture here. Because the application actually is so much bigger and so much better than that, than Jesus just simply raising dead folks today. No, the story is this, Jesus is Lord over death. He conquered death himself and he opened the gate of glory to all who would believe in him. So you believe in Jesus and death is no longer an enemy. Death is no longer a disaster. Death is no longer something to terrify us. And death is no longer a mystery. Sure, we don't know everything about it. But it's no longer a mystery. There was a, a sick man um, uh, was at home, was visited by his doctor. The doctor was a Christian. And, and as the doctor was leaving, uh, the guy uh, said to him, Doctor, I'm afraid to die. Tell me what's on the other side. And the doctor quietly said, although with a rather quizzical look on his face, I don't know. You don't know. But you're a Christian, you're supposed to know. And the doctor, um, holding the handle of the door, was about to open it. On the other side was his dog. He brought his dog with him on the visit. And the dog was whining, and he could hear the dog. And, uh, um, uh, and he opened the door, and the dog just sprang into the room and, and jumped up, tail wagging and so on and, and so forth. And the doctor turned to his patient and said, Look, did you notice my dog? He's never been in this room before. He didn't know what was inside. But he did know that his master was here. So he sprang in when I opened the door. And I don't know exactly what's on the other side of death. The Bible tells me I don't know exactly what it will be like. I know it will be wonderful, but above all I do know this. My master will be there. And so when the door opens, I shall pass through with no fear, but only with gladness. So you see, death becomes a glorious gateway to glory. Jesus is Lord, full stop. Therefore, he's Lord over death too. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus, perhaps especially if you're facing your own mortality, especially perhaps if you're really concerned about this, this pandemic, then you need, really need to put your faith in him. You could stop this now. Turn off the telly, turn off your laptop and just say to him, Lord Jesus, I want to put your, my trust in you. 
Or you could wait to the end of the sermon or the end of the service if you want to. A simple prayer saying to Jesus, I want to put my trust, my hand in yours. And I want to follow you. In your own words, you could do that right now. So Jesus the Lord, full stop. The compassionate Lord, the powerful Lord. And now we see also, third, the, the good Lord. Back to verse 15 again, and uh, especially the end of the verse. Jesus gave him back to his mum. Lovely touch. And what a good thing that Jesus did. Um, I mean, so many people in this pandemic, they, they, they just kind of question marks about God's goodness, don't they? How could, possibly, how could God possibly be good and allow a world pandemic to happen? Good question. Good question. But as you read the pages of the New Testament... God is unquestionably good. Very, 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 very good. And we don't always understand his ways. We can't always see God's purposes. But we do see a God, the God, who is morally good. Who does good. And so everything he thinks is good. Everything he plans is good. Everything he does is good. Every decision is good. Every reaction is good. Every motivation is good. Everything about the Lord is good. And Jesus is Lord. And everything about Jesus is good. Very, very good. Perfectly good. And you see a little glimpse of it. Here in Luke chapter 7. Death is not good. Death is not there in the world, was not there in the world when God created it. We've brought death into this world through our rebellion against God. And we see a flash of light into God's great and good purposes here as he ends death for that man. And it's a flash of light because he's saying, I will end death for all people, for all time. For those who believe in me and come to live with me in heaven, in glory. I've come to bring life. I've come to bring good to this world. I've come to reunite people, mum and son here. And I've come, I will come back to bring a new heaven and a new earth where all those who believe in me will live. The dead will be raised and will live with me forever, for all eternity. Jesus is the Lord, full stop compassionate Lord, the powerful Lord, the good Lord. And then finally, just to say, they realize that God has come. Look at verse 16 here. They're all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. Well, yeah, they would have been thinking because what Jesus had just did was very, very similar to what happened in the Old Testament with Elijah, the place called Zarephath. And if you could look it up in 1 Kings 17, actually giving the boy back to his mum is exactly what Elijah did, is exactly what Jesus did. In fact, it's exactly the same phrase you see in 1 Kings 17, 23, and in verse 15 here. And then Elisha did uh, a very similar thing in 2 Kings chapter 4, for instance. So they were probably thinking, well, it's a prophet. They did it in the Old Testament, and it's happening again here. Well, there were also other people who said, God has come to help his people. God has come to help his people. Uh, C.S. Lewis said the grand miracle that God has come. And that is wonderful. That is exhilarating. That is rejoicing time, isn't it? God has come. 
that God should come to help us. I mean, Jesus raising the dead is a huge argument for us to say to our friends that he was and he is God's. God has come in the flesh to help us, to restore us to him, to bring us back. And of course, he did that not just by being here, but he did that when he went and died for us. So the barrier between us and God could be removed. So the great big curtain which symbolized that in the temple in Jerusalem when Jesus died, that was ripped in two, saying you have now got direct access straight into the throne room of God's. He came to be with us and he died for us so that we could go to be with him forever in heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. God has come in person. And that message was beginning to dawn on those people in that little town of Nain 2,000 years ago. And no wonder that message spread. God has come. It's wonderful news. Jesus is Lord. Full stop. And we see here the compassionate Lord, the powerful Lord, the good Lord, and this supreme and wonderful and glorious news that God has come. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are Lord full stop. We praise you for your compassion, that you're the powerful and good Lord, and that in you we see that God has come. Can't be any better news than that, Lord. Help us to praise you, to bring you glory in our lives, we pray. And to remember these wonderful, wonderful truths, and to celebrate tonight for your name's sake. Amen.